1: What up and welcome back to another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast presented as always by America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the promo code DNBR when you sign up. All right, this is a loaded pod. We're going to break down Wednesday night's loss to Nevada for CSU men's basketball. The Rams now 500-0-3 in Mountain West play after falling 80-69 to out in Reno. CSU definitely had their chances in this one. They were competitive for 28 to 30-ish minutes, but a couple of disastrous closes to the halves ultimately doomed the Rams. We're going to talk about all that. Later, I'm going to play my interview with Johnny Venerable of PHNX Cardinals. We were able to catch up and talk about Trey McBride, who's really become a bigger piece in that Cardinals offense of late. It was great to pick the brain of somebody who is on the inside and not just watching from afar like myself, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy that one. He is always a great guest, great host and writer as well. If you're looking for somebody to follow to keep up with the Cardinals, I certainly recommend Johnny and everybody over on that PHNX beat. Real quick, before we get to that Nevada game and before we get to that interview with Johnny, I did want to shout out McKenna Hofschild. If you listen to the podcast, you know that I am a massive fan. She is on another level right now, absolutely bawling out of her mind. When it comes to some of the efficiency metrics, she is like Nikola Jokic. I mean, she's genuinely a statistical anomaly, and in a good way. I mean, a lot of the time when you hear that term, it's with a negative connotation. Certainly not the case this time around. As things currently stand, she leads the Mountain West in scoring at 19.7 points per game. She also leads the conference in assists per game at 7.8. That ranks number two nationally. Her assist to turnover ratio is 5.1. Number two in the league is 1.9. I'll say that one more time because it's crazy. She leads the conference at 5.1. Number two is 1.9. It leads the country as well, number two nationally, 3.6, so she has a hefty lead over anyone in the country as well. But the gap between her and the next best in the Mountain West is essentially a galaxy. And what's crazy is she's an absolute Iron Man or Iron Woman. She's logged 100 more minutes than the second most in the league. She's essentially the Chick-fil-A of point guards, as dependable as it comes. Any time of the day, any day of the week, rain or shine, she's going to give you some buckets. It is truly insane what McKenna Hofschild is doing this season, and I hope that people recognize that. And if she keeps this up, I think she's going to have a strong opportunity to be an All-American, especially if the Rams can make a postseason run of any type. Winning the conference tournament and making the NCAA tournament would probably help a lot in that regard. But I just wanted to make sure that we continue to give her some love on this podcast. She is insanely talented, a whole lot of fun to watch the only basketball player other than David Roddy that has been entertaining enough to get my girlfriend to put down whatever she's watching and be locked in on the game. And I get it. I get it. She is must-see TV. Anyways, shout out McKenna Hofshield and shout out DraftKings Sportsbook, The Fans, The Tradition, The Glory. There's nothing more thrilling than college football. It's bowl season and the action is far from over. My go-to for betting is with DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps. I love the endless options that they have, whether it's same-game parlays, live betting. They make any matchup, even one that is naturally exciting, like the national championship, which is coming up on Monday between Georgia and TCU. It just makes it that much more exciting. Right now, new customers can place a $5 pregame money line bet on a college football team to win and get $150 in free bets. If they do, you don't even have to get the spread right. Just pick the winner straight up, and your bank account is going to be booming. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Or use that code DNVR. New customers place a $5 pregame money line bet on a college football team to win and get $150. If your team does, go all in on Georgia. That code DNVR, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Cool, cool, cool. Let's just get right on into it. This was a winnable game for CSU on the road. Unfortunately, it seems like they just ran out of gas in both halves. Probably a product of the roster situation. Feels like every single game they get one guy back and lose somebody else. If you missed the news, both myself and Kevin Lytle reported prior to the matchup that freshman forward Kyle Evans broke his thumb during practice earlier this week. Sounds like it was just a freak play, but unfortunately, he is now expected to miss the rest of the season. We'll see. It's not a guarantee, but it certainly feels like one of those situations where when it rains, it pours for this squad. They just cannot catch a break, can't seem to get healthy. The injury bug is just biting them repeatedly. That's how it goes some years. CSU had been fairly fortunate throughout the Medved era. Other than Adam Thistlewood, Kendall Moore for a small stretch, they really didn't have a ton of injuries. John Tanji, I guess, was injured for most of last year, but was able to tough it out. But that good stretch, that good fortune, however you want to phrase it, seems to be catching up to the Rams now. They're kind of paying the price all in one year. And unfortunately, it's in a year where they played a really challenging non-conference slate, and now the Mountain West appears to be as deep as ever, top to bottom. It's going to be just a gauntlet for the next couple of months, and it's going to be interesting to see how this team responds. I'd say they were competitive enough for about 28 minutes in this one, but the final five minutes, the final five to seven minutes of the second half, they just didn't have it. With 4.55 to go in the first half, CSU actually led by three, but the Wolfpack ended up closing with a 13-1 run over the final 4.48, took a 40-31 lead into the break, a lot of that damage from deep. And then in the second half, after the Rams had done a really good job to claw back and fight their way into the matchup to have an opportunity to pull the upset, even led by five, it was 64-59 at the 6.50 mark, but... Just like the second half, Nevada got hot, closed on a 21-5 run, and that was that. As far as the positives go, um, it was a really nice performance from Patrick Cartier. He led the game with 18 points, 7-9 from the floor, so really efficient outing. He is as polished of a post-scorer as CSU has had in a while. Doesn't matter if he's playing with his back to the hoop. If he's driving on you, he's going to give you a bucket and he was able to pretty much do whatever he wanted on the offensive end in this one. The caveat only had two rebounds. He's got to bring more there. He's got to be a more effective rebounder. He's got to give a little bit more effort defensively or be a little bit more effective. I don't want to say it's an effort issue. He just needs to be more disruptive. You don't expect him to be Shaq out there. I mean, he's not going to be a rim protector. He's eight, he's but with CSU's lack of depth in the front court, especially now with no Kyle Evans as well, They need those bigger guys to be able to rack up some boards. If Isaiah Stevens is your leading rebounder most nights, probably going to get killed on the glass. My guess is if he brought a little bit more juice in that regard, he'd be playing 30-plus minutes a night. But you can't just concede the paint. You know, you can't just concede those buckets and boards. It's just a tough spot. It's a tough spot for this coaching staff. He's so effective as a scorer offensively. You kind of need him. But if you're giving up a bunch of offensive rebounds on the other end, it kind of offsets that production. This is one of the many times I am thankful to be a podcast host and not a coach because I I don't know what you do. Isaiah Stevens had 16 points, 50% shooting from the floor, only one of four from three. That's really the only area where it looks like he still has some rust. His his shooting numbers from deep are down about 5% from last year. That's to be expected. I mean, when you miss close to six weeks of practice, going to mess with your rhythm a little bit. We've seen it time and time again with guys that go down for an extended period of time. The jump shot is the last thing that comes back. What's great is he looks healthy. He looks really confident on the drive. He's playing with different paces. He's effective in the mid-range game. He's getting in the paint. He's getting to the hoop. I think CSU's most effective offensive approach right now is when him and Cartier run the pick and roll with how much some of these other guys are struggling to knock down shots, I would try and slow the game down. Really, it'd be much different than what we've seen from CSU these last couple of years, but I would try and slow it down, and I would try and create as many two-man opportunities with, this, with those guys as possible. They've just been the most composed and the most effective on the offensive end, and honestly, I'd rather those two get 20 attempts in the mid-range or around the rim then jacking up 28 threes on the road because this team is just not shooting the ball well. Tanjay was one of five from deep. Rivera was one of six from deep. Isaiah Stevens, one of four from deep. Jalen Lake was two of five. He and Joe Palmer, the only Rams to finish with more than one, made three in this one. It's been a struggle. They've missed a lot of open shots. I don't think it's always been bad possessions necessarily. A lot of the times they've been able to get opportunities for guys to get an open shot off the pass, and they just haven't knocked him down. There have been some forced shots as well. Uh, Tanjay and Rivera in particular, I feel like forced a couple of bad ones. Some of the time it was because it was late in the possession and you just kind of had to throw up a prayer. But when the threes aren't falling, you've just got to be able to work the ball inside more. And early on in the season, I felt like Rivera and Tanjay were both doing a pretty good job of getting to the hoop. So I'd like to see more of that. You know, Going back to why I think Cartier and Steven should get more two-man opportunities, the Rams are good in the paint. They don't have a ton of size, but they're good at scoring. I personally think they need to lean into that and just attacking the hoop, trying to create more opportunities in transition, You know, opportunities where you can get out and run. Because I just don't foresee this group on most nights beating you with the deep ball. They just really have not displayed the ability to do that consistently. Maybe the shots will start falling, and it'll be as simple as that. The numbers will just even out over the course of the year, and I'll be wrong in the end. But even so, I would get the usage rate of Stevens and Cartier through the roof. I would try and run just about everything through them and have opportunities for shooters to get uh, open shots off of them. But the three balls have just not been falling for the Rams, and it's really hurt them in a couple of these conference losses now. Some valuable minutes for Tavy Jackson, keeping with the the positive takeaways. He is getting baptized by fire on the defensive end. Had four more fouls in this one, but at least was able to stay on the floor for twenty plus minutes. I love his effort. He's not the greatest defender, but it's not for a lack of effort. Most of his struggles result from him being a little bit over aggressive at times, getting his hands caught where he shouldn't be, maybe getting. Bullied because he hasn't positioned himself well, well enough between the hoop and the the guy with the ball. But I I think he's going to be a really talented player on both ends for this program, and it really wouldn't surprise me if he ended up playing a big role in a couple of wins here down the stretch. Sure would be nice if they could get Josiah Strong back at some point. Not having him out there has really just been brutal all season long. But we're gonna find out real quick what. This group is made of. It's been a really challenging stretch. They're short handed, but they also have too much talent to wave the white flag or throw in the towel at this point. There's still far too much basketball left to be played. We're in a position now where everything is about trying to lock down the best possible rotation and to get as competitive as possible by March so that you can make a run in the Mountain West tournament. You don't have an opportunity at an at large bid. Probably not even going to have an opportunity for the NIT, at least without things drastically changing here pretty quickly, or again, making some type of run in the Mountain West tournament. If you made the championship game, even if you lost it, maybe you get an NIT bid at that point. My hope, though, is that they can pull a 2003, and after kind of a frustrating regular season, a talented team is able to go into the conference tournament, shock the world, win it all, ultimately go to the NCAA tournament, damn near almost beat Duke, too. We'll see if this group can respond at home on Saturday, but a red-hot Fresno State team has come into town recently, snapped New Mexico's winning streak. All right, let's play that interview with Johnny Venerable of PHNX Cardinals talking about Trey McBride at the future of the Arizona Cardinals organization. Real quick, our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking athletic greens because I didn't have time. I wanted better gut health. More energy and optimized immune system, all that fun stuff. I don't like taking pills and vitamins. And I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. A lot of them taste like chalk. They make me gag. Not athletic greens. I've been on AG1 for over a year. I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It's kind of a mild tropical taste. And it's just an easy part of my routine every morning. With just one scoop, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. It's lifestyle-friendly, so if you're keto, paleo, vegan-free, dairy-free, gluten-free, you're good there. Contains less than one gram of sugar with no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. It's less than $3 a day, so you're investing in your health and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. And what's awesome is you don't just have to take my word for it. They have over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and trusted by leading health experts. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do, go to athleticgreens.com slash rams. Again, that is athleticgreen.com slash rams to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, joining me on the podcast, we've got a special guest, Johnny Venerable of PHNX Cardinals. He writes and podcasts about the team full-time. We had him on the show at the beginning of the year to kind of forecast what we thought. Yeah, the season might look like both for the team and for Trey McBride. Much like the Broncos, it's been a tough one, I would say, for Arizona Cardinals fans. But the bright spot, if you are a Trey McBride guy like Johnny and myself, he seems to kind of be to uh, be ascending, I guess, in this offense. He's getting a lot more offensive snaps. So I'm curious, how would you describe Trey's rookie season? And has it been a success? for him individually?
0: I think so. Uh, I think the the season started very uneven, like everything else with this team. And I am someone of the mindset, knowing the history of Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph to some degree, and their reluctancy to play young players. Um, I don't put the slow start by Trey McBride on him at all. Um, I, I'm of the mindset, had Trey McBride gone to a I don't know offensive friendly scheme and system um, with a coaching staff that embrace rookies I think he'd be looking at probably double the amount of statistics that he had but that's hearsay um, because really since early November he has been I think a played a prominent role in their offense even before Ertz's injury right around Thanksgiving or a little bit before Trey was playing 80 plus percent of the offensive snaps now he was the predominant blocking tight end, but now since Ertz's injury, which is unfortunate, uh, Zach Ertz, over 30 years old, signed an extension with the Cardinals this past offseason, blew out his knee and is facing a lengthy recovery time. Trey has been the number one receiving target and in most recent weeks has had more targets than anybody not named DeAndre Hopkins. So I would say that, yes, he was inactive for his first game. That was a shock. But if you watched him in training camp like I did, my my counterpart, Bo Brock, One of the most physically gifted pass catchers they have, has size, um, and is not a liability at all. Um, So I think it was a slow burn, a process, even for a second-round pick like Trey, to not only get on the field, but to earn snaps in the passing game. And it culminated last week at Atlanta, you talk about 10 targets in the passing game, with seven catches for a career-high 78 yards and a touchdown. Two weeks prior, he went to Denver, averaged almost 14 yards per catch. The Cardinals are in a transition period, but I think Trey McBride, as special as he is as a player, you're going to be able for a future head coach to see this and say, I got tight end coverage for the next five plus years. I really do believe that he's going to be an asset for them, for a new GM and head coach to come in there and say, second round tight end from last year, that guy's a player. You hit on a couple of things that I wanted to talk about on this, which is One, what does
1: Trey's future look like with this organization, given the potential instability, probably a coaching change, new GM, whatever happens there. I want to get into that momentarily. Real quick, though, I do want to talk about the Atlanta game and the Denver game, because as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. his targets are way up, his receiving yards are way up. And what really stood out to me is the catches that he is getting. As you mentioned, you know, fourteen yards per catch. It's not like it's just a little dink and dunk stuff. They are using him to attack vertically. He's moving the chains, and he finally found the end zone.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just with all due respect to the Cardinals and their offense, it's not a Kyle Shanahan scheming guys wide open. I mean, guys are having a fight for separation, and and trade did that last weekend with fourth string quarterback David Blau. So goodness, what could he do with Kyler Murray a full off season? with a revamped coaching staff that really highlights his abilities. Um, I, I think he is doing more with less than a lot of people. Uh, I think his trajectory, and I know this is pretty um, in vogue to say, is probably somebody like the kid out of Chicago, Cole Komet, who didn't see too many targets his first year of the offense. Justin Fields, inconsistent this year, the number one pass-catching option. And as long as you know Hollywood Brown and, and DeAndre Hopkins are in town, that will never be Trey, but I do think that his ceiling in the NFL, like I said when I came on in the preseason, is a Pro Bowl-level tight end, whatever that looks like. I think he could have double-digit uh, pass receptions, pass, uh, touchdown catches, and I think he could settle in right around 700 to 800 yards um, because this offense with Zach Ertz, who I love Zach Ertz. I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer. He's on the All-Decade team. Zach and his physical attributes started to diminish. And you could see that where he could get open, but there was no yak ability, minimal separation. That's not a problem for Trey McBride. So I I do think that with Ertz facing an injury, I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to move off of him given the amount of money they invested, but I think there's a very good chance that Ertz is not ready for the season next year. McBride's going to get all those valuable first-team reps for the new coaching staff, ingratiate himself. And I think, again, I don't know how many players are trending up for the Cardinals right now. Number 85 is.
1: I want to run this by you, and it, it's just kind of a random thought I had. You can com- It might, may be completely wrong, so if it is, shut it down. I wondered if Trey has benefited the last couple of weeks from having, I mean, clearly less talented quarterbacks than Kyler Murray, but just more traditional pocket passers, whereas... Kyler, the way he runs around, does it take time to kind of establish chemistry and rapport with a quarterback like him? Or is that just completely out of left field? It's more his role has changed and that's kind of why
0: he's benefiting. I think he's benefiting because he has elevated to the top of this receiving chart that didn't have DeAndre Hopkins last week. Hollywood Brown has been uh, dinged up. I, I really do think he's probably one of the more talented pass catchers available. There's no Rondell Moore, right? Um, What I will say about Kyler is when they acquired, if you're trying to buy stock on Trey McBride long term, when they acquired Zach Ertz last year at the trade deadline, uh, over the course of the second half of the season, no tight end was targeted more, and that was with Kyler Murray than Zach Ertz. So I do think that there's a partnership to be had with Trey and Kyler long term. Um, now Kyler's not going to be ready for the start of next season, so I don't, I couldn't tell you who, who's Trey going to be catching passes from in August and September of next year. But I don't. I don't vision his targets going down again. Since the Earth's injury, he's averaging just under six targets per game, catching a large majority of those. His hands have really been on display. He made a couple tough catches against Denver in traffic. Uh, where earlier in the season he dropped a couple of gimme passes. He had a bad drop against the Chargers. And again, no one here was ready to write him off because again, Justin. I feel like people understand and have sympathy for these players for Arizona. That have, let's face it, had their development mismanaged by the Cardinals and their coaching staff. Trey has forced his way onto the field and and is making the most of his opportunities. I expect him to have a nice day against San Francisco on Sunday.
1: Based on kind of following your your coverage these past couple of weeks, it, it seems like you believe a head coaching change is imminent. Wh- I when do. <laughs> when uh When when can we expect that? I mean, at this point, I guess they're just going to let him finish out the season. I was surprised Denver made the in-season change, to be honest. I think it just had to do with getting truly embarrassed on national TV on kind of a standalone day on Christmas. But where are you at? Because I've seen a lot
0: of kind of passive tweets. It it seems like you're ready to move on. Well, first of all, yeah, Denver not only got embarrassed, they were on, I was watching it on Nickelodeon with my son and they had Spongebob (laughs) characters literally dig this team a grave on air during Russell Wilson's, you know, putrid performance. That was a quit job. And anytime you quit on a head coach, there's no point in waiting. Here's what I will say about Cliff Kingsbury. No one's quitting. Um, Is this probably the perfect time to pivot? 100%. But I think Cliff has earned the respect of the locker room and has earned the right to finish out the season. But yes, barring something completely out of left field, unforeseen, I, I think not only are we going to have a new head coach, but a new general manager, Steve Keim, who drafted Trey McBride, uh, took a leave of absence in November, uh, and it is not assumed he will be returning. Uh, he's been the general manager since 2013. Cliff has been the head coach, obviously, since 2019. They both received extensions in the offseason. Uh, a lot of people would argue, I would argue, maybe those weren't uh, well deserved at the time, could have waited another year. But the Cardinals are in a transition period. They need to rebuild a large portion of the roster. And it feels like Trey, whomever you know, is leading the team, it'll be new to Trey. It won't be Cliff Kingsbury, I don't believe. But I think he'll get a glowing recommendation from everybody on the outs that's leaving the franchise uh, uh, for the job that he has done. Because you look at the fact that you know, a lot of players, even young players, may be checked out at the end of the year because of the fact that the coach, it's a hot seat. The team's terrible blah, 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 you've got Trey McBride really busting his ass every week. And, and that will go a long way um, to ingratiate himself with a new head coaching staff. And then you know we get the opportunity because of HBO's hard knocks to kind of see behind the curtain of these guys. And he was featured prominently in his return back to Denver um, to play the Denver Broncos. Got to uh, you know spend some time in that episode with his family. How can you not root for him? He's got the twin brother, just somebody I think that, Michael Bidwell especially will want to prop up as this organization continues to enter a new phase of Cardinal football.
1: That makes me happy to hear that. He was certainly popular out here. I mean, being a local kid, you know, Fort Morgan playing for the local school, obviously that's going to help just with the, the community support. But a big part of what made him so popular was not necessarily his talent. It was his commitment to CSU, even in times where they weren't winning. And, and as you mentioned, it's that relentless list. So it's it's a lot of fun to watch him kind of killing it in the NFL. Uh, before I let you go here, any chance that Manny Jones sees more snaps in this finale?
0: Probably not. Uh, they've used a lot of different rotational defensive linemen this year, and he has not been one of them. He had a really good preseason. I would say there's, there's a good chance that he is on a new team next year. Uh, I couldn't tell you what kind of defense they're going to be running this time next year. If it'll be a 3-4, it'll be a 4-3. But I think Manny showed enough in the preseason has been lingering around their practice squad b- bouncing, I think back and forth from their fifty three man roster. you know, he's had a nice cup of coffee with the Cardinals. He's an NFL caliber player. he'll 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 be on a roster next year. I just it feels like, you know, unless you are and I've said this all, you know, throughout the course of December and early January, Justin that unless you are a Trey McBride or an early round draft pick of recent years and you're not making a ton of money you are not safe on this Cardinal roster. They're in a unique position where they're not winning, but they have a $45 million quarterback. The roster is too top-heavy. They've got a bunch of aging veterans, whether it's A.J. Green. I mentioned Zach Gertz, James Conner, J.J. Watt is retiring. You know, Trey McBride is an asset for a couple of different reasons, and that's coupled with his contract. So um, very few players are, are going to be safe this offseason, but 85 is one of them.
1: Who is your dream head coach for the Cardinals? Who is your
0: gut saying they end up with? And,
1: and this is impossible
0: be, at this stage. It's kind of a crapshoot guess. but I mean, I, I think there'd be a lot of people disappointed. And we talked this up early in the process. So people are have told us we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Um, if, if Sean Payton is not at least in the mix, it would be disappointing. From the standpoint that the ownership, you're not telling your fan base that you're serious about winning if you don't inquire about Sean Payton it feels like the teams that make the most sense for him that he's been linked to Chargers Cowboys may not make coaching change uh he wants to stay on the west coast I think the infrastructure is there for him to have immediate success assuming Kyler Murray bounces back you look what he did with a Taysom Hill and a Jimmy Graham once upon a time I think he would embrace Trey McBride um that is you know easily the number one option. And of course, like a Jim Harbaugh, but I, I just don't see the Cardinals being in the mix for Jim. I think it's more likely a Denver or an Indianapolis. Uh, I don't know if Michael Bidwell, the the team president and owner has enough confidence in himself to be able to go toe to toe with Jim Harbaugh, who is a, who is a demanding presence in the best possible way. He's also an ass kicker and a winner, my worst case scenario, or somebody that I feel like is going to probably be in the mix. I I don't want to knock on too many people. I just, like a Ben Johnson from Detroit. Like, I think they'll interview Byron Lefwich. And I those guys could end up being special. Those guys could end up being difference makers. But we've said time and time again, the Cardinals have been trying to find that next unknown head coach that turns into a Mike Tomlin, right? Turns into a Sean Payton. They haven't been able to do that. And if you look at what the Denver Broncos are doing with new ownership, they've got that Walmart cash at their disposal. They're saying, no, no, no. We're going to go out, we're going to buy a proven commodity. I think Michael Bidwell has to do the same. Willie, that remains to be seen, but it'll be interesting. We're uh, five days away right now from Black Monday for both of these franchises, and uh, I expect big changes nonetheless.
1: I think they got to aim big, right? you got the quarterback, you've got the talent at the skill positions. It'll be interesting. Do you think Vance Joseph gets an interview?
0: Uh, you know, we just had a chance to talk to Vance Joseph earlier today. He did get extended with Cliff and Company last year. I think,
1: you know, he is
0: a very, very impressive individual, and he's first class. And I, I like him as a person, and I think in the right situation, he's a really good defensive coordinator. Um, I just think for where this team is at right now, and the fact that you know they're thirty-one or thirty-two in points per game allowed, they just haven't been good enough. And it's a results-driven business. I I think Vance will get another D.C. job next year. Um, and if he can elevate that, eventually he wants to be a head coach again. Good for him. I mean, Steve Wilkes has gotten another opportunity. That's been awesome to watch with him in Carolina. Um, but I think Vance, it's more likely he gets another D.C. job or maybe even has to take a position coach job to kind of rebuild what happened this year. Unless everybody just says, no, that was a kind Kingsbury problem, which is definitely possible. He was a he was a hot target when the Broncos
1: hired him as head he coach. So it's kind of interesting how that all plays out. Like I'm, it, it's funny, you know. When when he was out, Broncos fans were so just ecstatic because it was not a successful tenure. Now in hindsight, like when you compare it to the Hackett era or even some of the moments of the Fangio era, it was like, it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't good, but it was coming off of the Super Bowl era and. I don't know. He's just been an interesting guy
0: to follow. Former CU guy, obviously. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about him. If you, I mean, no, no one outside of the people in the valley who who care and are diehard are watching Hard Knocks right now for a four and thirteen team. But Vance Joseph comes off as the head coach of this franchise. With all due respect to Cliff Kingsbury, the, the Vance Joseph is the most impressive coach on the coaching staff. When I watch Hard Knocks, when I see him operate, he carries himself. No wonder he crushes during interviews. He's just He's a high-level guy. Um, I think that he has some some traits that he needs to work on. The development of young players, I do not think he handled Isaiah Simmons' development very well. Um, you know, they've given him a lot of talent on the defensive side in some drafts, and he is more inclined to play some journeyman free agents that might know his scheme, but are limited. You know, physically, uh, and it's hampered them. He he has not done a good enough job in developing young talent. That being said. He took somebody like Hassan Reddick, that the Cardinals had mismanaged his development early in Arizona, put him back at outside linebacker. He's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL now, albeit for a different team. So I, I think he's a, he's got a high football IQ, and I would like to see him getting up our opportunity. But it just it you can't keep Vance around if you don't keep Cliff around. It just feels like the right time to make a change all around.
1: Makes sense. Sometimes you just have to start anew. I mean, we we see that in college football. You see it in in all levels. You just need a fresh start sometimes for the players, Mm -hmm. even for the coaches. It just, I don't know, the the product can get stale, and it's felt that way with the Cardinals. Like that, I don't know, they just didn't really seem to have much of an identity this year, particularly offensively. Like you'd watch it, and it seemed like their best moments were just when Kyler was kind of running around playing schoolyard football.
0: Yeah, it's backyard football to a T, right? They have tried so many times to out-athlete people. And that's the best way I can put it. Let's just get a bunch of super athletic guys, Hollywood and Hopkins and Rondell Moore and Ertz and Trey McBride. And I thought, I bought into with Justin, they were just going to be too talented to really be stopped, right? Almost kind of like you look at the Deshaun Watson, Hopkins, Will Fuller team. They were never coordinated brilliantly by you know Bill O'Brien and company. But they were just so damn athletic. But the Cardinals, the infrastructure, the organization at its core, was too toxic this year. They had so many issues off the field. It's been embarrassing. They need to get their house cleaned up, and they need to get back to basics. They have not been a good drafting and developing team like we talked about before. I mean, you look at Trey McBride and you look at the modest stats, but I'll be honest with you, he, he's been one of the more impressive rookies that they've had recently. So they need to get back to basics with a new regime that does not shoot for the moon one season and then crashes hard the next. They need to try to build a sustainable winner, and now they've got to do that with a quarterback who who's making big-time money coming off a major injury. It's not going to be easy.
1: Not going to be easy. Not going to be easy for my Broncos, but we'll, uh, we'll be rooting for, for Trey and the Cardinals out here in Ramland. Johnny, thank you for coming on. Love to catch up with you. It's always great to pick your brain, get that inside perspective on what's going on hopefully brighter days to come for both of our teams
0: that's right thanks for having me Justin.